Let's give respect to the reading of God's word. Chapter 36, we're going to look at verse 8 and verse 31, just the first parts of those. In Exodus 36, 8, it says, And all the craftsmen among the workmen made the tabernacle with ten curtains. Let me pause here and give us, put us in a context. In the previous chapters, we saw, um, starting at chapter 35, God reviewed with Moses and with Israel his, his Sabbath principle, and then he laid out the work that they were to do uh, in building the, all the things that were needed for worship. Now we're going to see the building of those items that are needed for worship. So in chapter 36, he starts with them making that tabernacle. Now move to verse 31 of chapter 36, and there it says, He made bars of acacia wood, five for the frames of the one side of the tabernacle. In chapter 37, verse 1, Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. Chapter 37, verse 6, and he made a mercy seat of pure gold. Verse 10, he also made the table of acacia wood. Verse 17, he also made the lampstand of pure gold. Verse 25, he made the altar of incense of acacia wood. Verse 29, he made the holy anointing oil also. Chapter 38, verse 1, he made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Verse 8, he made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze. Verse 9, and he made the court from the south side, the hangings of the court, which were of fine twined linen. Verse 22 and 23. Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer and embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. Chapter 39, verse 1. From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely, finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 32 of chapter 39. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. Then verse 42 and 43. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done. Then Moses blessed them. May God give us understanding in this portion of Scripture that we'll be walking through this morning. And we give attention to God's word and 
learn what he has for us to glean from it and put it to practice in our lives. If you would, bow your heads with me for a moment of prayer. After prayer, our choir will come with special music and then the preaching of God's word in these, verse, in these chapters in Exodus. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here today. We thank you for each one that you woke up this morning and brought with a purpose to come here today. We thank you and pray, Lord, that each of our hearts would now give attention to you and that you'd speak to us from your word. You'd help us understand your purpose, what you'd have us to do, and how you'd have us to do it. May what you give us help us see what you have done and what you are doing, the work that you are doing through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. May it bring us to honor and to glorify him and to um, trust him, rely on him, and devote our whole existence to him so that we want to do and we began to do all the things that he would have us to do in, in the way that we live our lives. So guide us, instruct us, encourage us, challenge us through your word today. We pray for those who are not with us today, especially because of health and sickness. We continue to pray for Sister Bonnie that you would just continue to watch over her recovery. And we pray for um, we just pray for her, her husband, Bill, as he uh, just ministers to her. And I thank you for his faithfulness, even during his time. Um, we pray that you would be with um, just how we try to get along and truth seekers without her and her, the major role that she plays. We pray, Lord, that you would cause other individuals to step up in faithfulness and in participation and not decline, but to take on the task that you've given us to do so that we can continue to, uh, to lead and to teach our youth. We thank you for this time, this season, um, when we represent or when we remember um, what Jesus has come to do in his death and his crucifixion, his uh, resurrection from the dead. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, cause us to reflect and to um, give you honor and glory for what you've done through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for this service that you bless, you use it for your glory. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated as our choir comes with special music. We're getting in particular now. The, the, I, I got to admit, this, this appeals to me because I like making stuff. And uh, apparently, God likes making stuff, too. He likes us to make stuff. He gave the detail of the stuff was, that was to be made. And, and I can keep going. Let me just finish this chapter at least. Verse 27, for the rear of the tabernacle westward, he made six frames. Verse 28, he made two frames for the corners. Verse 29, he made two of them. Verse 31, he made. See, he made, he made, he made again and again, right? He made bars of acacia wood for the frames of the one side of the tabernacle. Verse 33, he made the middle bar. Verse 34, he overlaid the frames with gold. So we see that it wasn't just a raw thing. He decorated it with gold. He overlaid that with gold. We talked about before we even started started this that they were building a place of worship but it was a it was a tent so that they could take it down and set it up and they could continue wherever God called them 
to, to, to wander. Remember, he led them by a pillar of cloud and by a pillar of fire. They were on their way to the promised land, but it was a journey. And so on this journey, he wanted them to be able to worship. And so they had the things that they could take, they could set up, they could break down, and even the things to carry it on. You'll notice he'll talk about rods that they made, and, and they, they made rings for the rods. The rings were something attached to the, the items like the tabernacle or the, excuse me, the, the, the table or the altar. It had rings so that rods could go through it so that uh, the, the, the tribe of Levi could carry on the rods on their shoulders and walk with this and carry it along the path so they wouldn't have to touch the actual item. So we see some of the details there. Now, I know details don't uh, appeal to all of us, but the Bible gives them to us for some reason. And so I wanted to at least look at these. Now, we are not finished yet in chapter 36. It says, uh, verse 35, he made the veil. And verse 36, for it, he made four pillars. He also made a screen. In verse 37 and verse 38, it says he overlaid their capitals. So we get some of the details of all the things that he made. Now let's go through highlight in verse 37. In verse 1, he made the ark. In verse 6, he made the mercy seat of pure gold. And we can see what he made on that mercy seat. There were two cherubim uh, 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 these, are, these are angelic beings that were carving into this item of worship. Um, verse, uh, verse 2, it says, excuse me, I'm, yeah, verse 6 I was at. Verse 10, he also made the table. He overlaid that with pure gold, verse 11. Um, and then in verse 12, he made a lampstand of pure gold. Verse 25, he made the altar of incense. Verse 29, he made holy anointing oil. And chapter 38, verse 1, he made the altar of burnt offering. Let's look at the summary of the things that he made. It kind of reminds me not exactly the same, but it reminds me of Genesis 1 account when, when God made, and made the, when he created uh, the, the earth and, and all of his creation, and then he would sum up each day, and then at the end of that time, it says he looked over what he saw, and he saw that it was good. And then on the seventh day, he rested from his work. He rejoiced in what he had made, and he rested um, from his work. Here we see a short summary given to us um, in chapter 38, verse 22. We read that, but I want to read it again. Chapter 38, verse 2, it says, Bezalel, the son of Uri, or Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. And it gives some of the abilities that Dan had, oh, excuse me, that Ahissamach had. An engraver and designer, embroiderer, embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. So these two individuals were in charge. They had helpers, of course, but they were in charge of making all of the items that God had given the details to Moses to have made. 
Now let's skip to chapter 39 and look at the summary there. It's three verses that we'll look at. Chapter 39, verse 32. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. This is significant. God gave instruction to them, and they followed the instruction. They did what God asked them to do. It's, it's, it's interesting to me that God had done so many miracles, but here he tells his people to do something. In other words, he says, I'm not making this for you. I want you to make it. God could have just said, hey, boom, there it is. I made it for you. I carved it out of stone or, 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 or whatever. And here it is. Carry it with you and, and, and worship me. He says, I want you to make it. So they have a role in their worship of God. They're invested in it, so to speak. God has them have a part. They do it as God had given instructions for it to be done. And then in verse 42 and 43, in chapter 39, verse 42 and 43, it sums it up this way. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. You get the sense that Moses gave instruction, and then he supervised over this work that had been done, and he looked at it, he observed it, he checked it, and he saw that it met the standard that God had given, and he gave his blessing to it. All right, so that's the simple, in four chapters, that's the simple truth that comes down to us from Scripture. What are we to do with it? Does God want us to build a tabernacle and all of the implements and things that, that we see here? No, he's not asking us to do that. What does he want us to glean? What does he want us to learn? Of all the things, we can see many failures of the people in their lack of faith along the path and along the journey, but here is something that we can compliment them on. Here is something God gave them to do that they did. They actually did. I want you to see that God has work for us to do, and he wants us to be obedient in that work and to actually do it. One thing it shows is that he requires each of us to be a part you see, we get used to sitting in our little chair there, and we direct our eyes towards the front. But we forget that that's just the instruction part. We, we, we sometimes forget in our Sunday service is that there's a whole week of do that ought to follow what you, what you hear on Sunday. You come here today just to observe and to hear but there's a whole week of do that's absolutely critical. And we sometimes highlight this service, and I understand we should, because you can't do unless you hear, unless you get clear instruction. You don't know what to do. But remember, the clear instruction has a purpose. 
It's not in itself worship by itself unless it's accompanied with the whole week of doing. The stuff that we need to do. What is that stuff? First of all, let's understand the principle of work. The principle of work. Before God gave instructions to them, remember, let's take a look just briefly at chapter 35, verse 1 and 2. Before God gave them these specific instructions, he says this. Chapter 35, are you with me? Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. So he's about to go through this list of things God wanted them to do to prepare for worship, things that they were to do, things they were to make, right? Before he gives that to them, what does he say? Verse 2, six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Now we commented that... God reviewed, this is not new to them. He had shared this with them before. The Ten Commandments talked about the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days God had made his creation, and on the seventh day he rested. So here he starts out with the Sabbath principle. Now we said that this was important because with all the work, he wanted them to work in the right way. He had already set the pattern for work. Well, I call that today the Sabbath principle. He had shared the Sabbath principle with them. Very, just, just very simply, here it is. Six days work, one day rest. Sabbath principle. Six days work, one day rest. Say that with me. Six days work, one day rest. Six days work, one day rest. That's the Sabbath principle. What is it there for? God demonstrated it himself that he worked in six days and he rested. He didn't do it because he was tired. Like, oh, man, I've been making all this stuff. Whew, I'm wore out. God doesn't get tired. He didn't do it for him, for his sake. He did it for our sake. He established a principle for us. First of all, to glorify him, to honor him in our, in our daily or our regular routines, And a week is like a regular routine, six days, one day rest. The the important ratio is there noted for us too. You work for six days, you rest for one day. I'm a part of that baby boomer, boomer generation that now is just exploding into retirement. And we have this notion so often that, you know, hey, when I get 55 or whatever that magic age is, I'm going to retire. And I want to ask people, what does retire mean? Because to some people it means I'm going to sit at home and I'm going to do absolutely nothing because I've worked all my life and now I've gained my reward to do nothing. Now, I want to ask you as a believer, if you've gained a reward to do nothing, Wouldn't God take you out? Why'd he leave you here then to do nothing? 
Now, I understand a time of rest and also understand because of age, there's diminished amount of work, physical work that we can do. But this sense of I'm going to sit and do nothing is a retirement uh, uh, philosophy that I don't think has any valid uh, support in God's word. Not do nothing. And the age that we come with Come, come up with to, to begin that is certainly arbitrary as well. God wants us to be busy. God wants us to be active. God has given us stuff to do. The Sabbath principle says work and rest some. Not rest, 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 and then work one day. But we have a culture and a philosophy that says, you know what? I'm going to sit on my butt and I'm going to ask the government to assist me. Assist you do what? <laughs> Is that God's principle for you to sit and do nothing and for everybody else to do stuff for you? Certainly it's not. God said a principle that I want you to have a 6-1 ratio to work, he says, you absolutely need rest. But only after you have absolutely done some work. <laughs> There's a simple principle here. God worked for six days and he rested. We're to work, he says, for six days and then the rest. Jesus worked. We're in that season where we're thinking back on what Jesus did and the price that he paid for our sin. And today we take communion to remember that. But Jesus worked to accomplish what he had to accomplish for us. In fact, in, in, in John chapter 5, Many times through the gospel is highlighted in John chapter 5. <clears throat> the opponents of Jesus thought they would catch him in a trap and snare him because he healed on the Sabbath. They thought they were smart. Jesus did that on purpose. Healed on the Sabbath to, to show that they had gone away from God's principle and they had done some things that God did not even intend for them to do in their false observant, observance of the Sabbath. And he said something to them. He says, my father worked, and so I work. I love that for a couple of reasons. My father worked, and so I work. Let me talk to the men for a moment. You set the pattern for your family by not what you say, by what you do. We work because God requires us to do it and pattern for us to do it. And we also find we work because it's what's best for us. We can go back to Genesis and we can see how God instructed Adam and Eve to care for creation. This is before sin entered into the world. That God has set them, these are the things that I want you to do. 
And they were to labor, they were to work to maintain the creation that God gave them. Now, before sin, that work wasn't as extreme and as, as, as a burden as it is now, but it was something God gave them to do as part of his provision. In other words, we need a purpose. We need things to do. It's amazing to me when I was a kid, we'd have summer, summer off and we look forward to summer. And as soon as summer comes, you know, we want to throw away our books and burn them and, and just go out and play all day. But after about a week of that, we get bored. And we bugging mom, you know, I ain't got nothing to do. And, you know, <laughs> I always told my kids, if you don't find something to do, I will find something for you that's, that's uh, constructive. <laughs> That's some work that you may not want to do. So, you know, so the, the point is, is that we get bored when we don't have a purpose and don't have things to do. We need that structure that God has laid out. In fact, oftentimes in his word, let's just take, take a, a, a look. And I want to look at a, a couple things. Uh, first of all, we see it in, in um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And this is the principle, a warning against idleness. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Can you turn there with me? Right before 1 Timothy. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm going to look at verse 6 and a few verses after that. If you get there, just say amen. amen. You know God's word is true, right? Amen. <laughs> It's true whether you agree with it or not. It's true. So let's look at God's true word. He says, now we commend, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. What does he mean, idleness? Idle means not doing stuff. Not doing what he should be doing. Lazy. Not working. Verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Now let me stop there. When we, those of us who are leaders, are to set the example for those who look, observe, and follow us. Those of us who are followers of Christ need to follow the example that he set before us, right? And Paul was saying, we said as leaders, we set an example for you. He says, you, how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we don't have that right, but to give you in, your, in ourselves an example to imitate. What does he mean by we didn't have that right? He says, what he's saying is that as those who minister the word, he had a right to, to get his income from those he ministered to, and he didn't have to work outside that. He had a right to do that, but he didn't do it. Because he wanted to, to set a double example for them. 
So he says, verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. That's what happens. See, we're going to be busy doing something. If we aren't doing what we should be doing, we're going to be doing stuff we shouldn't be doing. We need to be busy doing the things that God would have us to do. So he said that as a principle, a simple principle in the word of God. So he says in verse 12 to close this part, he says, no such pers- Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. There were some people who were saying, you know, hey, the church ought to support me or ought to support our family. Let me break it down to our day and age. What's the church doing for us? We have people who go from church to church to church looking at what they can get instead of doing and looking at what they should be doing to minister to the Lord. There's a principle spoken here. Jesus worked. And in fact, I believe he's working now. In John chapter 14, verse 6, he says to his disciples, I'm going. I'm going to leave you here, but I'm going. What he says, I'm going to sit up in heaven and just chill out all the time. No, I'm going to prepare a place for you. (laughs) He's doing some work. He's getting things ready for us. You know, if you're going to have folks come over your house, you ought to, you know, get things ready. He's bringing us home with him. Really, it's, it's the picture of, of, uh, of the bridegroom and the bride. He's saying, as, as, as the groom, I'm going to, 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 to get our, our honeymoon location, our first house together. I'm, I'm putting it together, and it's going to be really nice. And after we marry, we're going to go enjoy it, and we're going to live happily ever after. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's what he's doing now. That's what he's busy in. That's what he he is involved in. He calls us to work. Let me just look at a few passages, and then we'll, we'll close today. I'm amazed at how God used this idea of busy and work for us and what that must mean. It has to mean for us today. In Matthew chapter 19, you can look at it. It's in verse 37 and 38, but I'll quote it, and I'll just refer to it, and you'll know what what, what it means. Jesus says, the harvest is plenteous, and you can finish it, what? But the laborers are few. He's talking about a harvest, and he's talking about laborers. Laborers mean workers. And he says, pray the Lord of harvest that he will send forth laborers. Laborers, workers. God has a work for us to do, and that's a work of collecting the harvest that He has already prepared. He said the harvest is plenty. There's a lot of folks that that are there that God will bring, but He says the laborers are few. He refers to us as believers as those who will do work. Work. 
So as you come in this week, communion is not just to sit down and enjoy yourself. It is to be a laborer for the Lord, to work in the harvest, to take his word out, to be effective and to minister then to those who need to hear that word, who hear that word and respond to it. He calls us laborers, and he says we ought to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. God is calling us then to be laborers. What do I want you to do? I want you to ask God, Lord, forgive me for my sense of not being willing to work to, to the degree that I know that I should, and help me invest in your harvest in whatever way you have for me to do. That's what you should say. You raise your hand and worship and pray and say, God, here am I. I am ready to be a laborer for you. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it talks about we're saved by grace and not by works, not by the things that we do. We understand that clearly. We can't do anything to gain salvation status for ourselves. It's not the things that we do that bring us in, into status with God, but it's the thing that he has done in giving his grace through Jesus Christ for us. But it says when he has given his grace to us and we've received that grace What's going to happen to us? We're going to do stuff. We're going to work. In verse 10, he says this. I want to turn there. Ephesians 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, we are God's work. He's worked on us to produce that changed life. And he's done that for the purpose of us going out, as we can use the Matthew 9 passage of being laborers, workers. We do work because he's done work on us. We give ourselves to his work because he's done that work on us and in us. He's called us to do those kinds of works. What are you busy doing? What is God challenging your heart to be wholeheartedly committed to and involved in here at Sweet Communion? I know we've jumped from our Exodus passage. We saw all the work that the individuals did. And we're saying today that God has given us a work to do. Each and every one of us that is saved by the blood of Jesus has been called into his work. It's going to involve us coming and sitting here and observing and taking in God's word. I understand that. But that taking in God's word is for the purpose of going about doing his work. Going about telling others about Christ. Going about showing others through your own example and your testimony of what it is to live for Christ. 
that Sabbath principle should be something that's a testimony for you. No Christian should be lazy on the job. No Christian should have a pathetic testimony before his or her supervisor or boss or anyone they report to. Your boss should be the first one here. If you have an unsaved boss, he, he should be the first one coming here and say, I don't know what this salvation thing is, but I tell you, the person that I see that goes to your church is an extremely good, hard, and diligent worker. That's the kind of testimony. Not you talking all the time. You working faithfully shows that testimony. When I preach, I preach to myself because God's word points right at me. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, look what it says. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. It says, let the elders, amen, that's me. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. It speaks of that work as a labor, as an engaging task that takes much effort. Let him labor well, he says. Labor in preaching and teaching. Verse 18 there says, For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. The point that I'm making there is he's called a laborer. People think of pastor, he sits back and he just points and tells everybody else what to do and bosses everybody around. And gets all the glory. If that's your vision of a leader, I'm sorry if I've contributed to that. God will hold me in conviction if I have, but it's the wrong vision. The vision war is, there's there's terms that God used like minister, like servant. What What we got from the idea of a servant is one who works, who works who is diligent at what God has given him to do. And, and so this, this, going back to the Exodus, the picture there is of people who serve God by working. And I just couldn't escape. It's been four chapters bringing that point home to us. He did this and he made and he made and he made and he worked and he labored. God is calling us to that kind of labor. I love projects. (laughs) I love being a part of something. But God has called us together to be a part of a project where we do something. This week I was was watching um, one of my YouTube videos, and it was a video about, uh, y'all forgive me, if if you're from Gary, Indiana, you have to forgive me. It was a video about Gary, Indiana. And uh, it was showing some of the not-so-highlights of that city. And as I looked at the tour through that city, I've grown up not very far from Gary, Indiana. We would go there uh, 
regularly, I thought, enough to, to see what the city was like. Um, and before you even entered the city, now this is back in the 60s and the 70s, you'd smell it <laughs> before you even got there. It was a, it was a steel factory. A lot of lot of steel mills, and you can you can you can smell that in the air. But what happened when when the steel jobs uh, uh, disintegrated? The whole city just began to disintegrate. It, and and I, I can tell you, back in the '60s, when I was a little boy, it was pretty bad then, and it hadn't gotten any much better now. But it reminded me of the awesome task that's needed to pull something back together. What it would take, what, what kind of army of people would it take to, 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 to come into that kind of territory and turn things around? I thought about that. And one of the good things about the video that I saw is they, they showed some areas that had done that. Some housing and some, some areas that had, had turned things around. It just made me think about our work as believers is how we're set here. And, and even as I walk, drive around Milwaukee and I see so many like areas. One day I was on my way from, from home to church and I counted up the number of boarded up houses. Can't remember what that added up to, but it was way more than I thought should be in a short three-mile stint from my house to church. There's a lot of work that, 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 that needs to be done. I love being a part of that project. I, I, I look at empty fields and I see debris just thrown all over everywhere. I look at my own neighborhood and it, now's the time for cleanup, right? Uh, it just shows the need for doing that kind of thing. But there's also a spiritual work for us to do. We need to look out on, on, on our society, look out on our city, look at our news reports and see the decay that's happening in our culture and recognize there's a work for us to do. Israel was called to prepare for worship because they were being called to be a testimony to the countries and nations around them. God was saying he was going to do a work with them that everybody else was going to look and be in amazement of. This is how his people work. Uh, this is how his people are connected to him and they prosper and are blessed in him and how they shine as lights so that the world will be drawn to God. God is calling us to do a work right where we are, in this neighborhood, in this city, in the jobs that we have right now, to glorify him. And I pray that he'd stir your heart to be a part of it, to look out and to look in, to look out and see what you see and to look in and see what God wants to do here so that you become, you observe first and then you're going to become an active part of what God is doing here. Playing a role in ministering in other people's lives. I praise God for the faithful workers that God is calling to be used here at Sweet Communion. I look out on your faces, I see those who are involved in ministry here in this church in various areas. People who are involved in some of the, the, some of the not so glamorous areas, like uh, I think about my mother-in-law, who's, who's a part of the, the, the head of the cleanup crew. And every week, 
she's the first one here on Sunday morning to double check and to make sure everything is in line. But even besides that, before the week, somebody spends two, two hours, two and a half hours, three hours a week to come and prepare this place so that we can have a place to worship. I praise God for individuals like Brother Cliff Hill who, who labors over the building and every little thing that, that needs something done. He, he's one that's checking and making sure and, and, and lining up workers and lining up finances and, and, and seeing what's the next on the list and, and trying to get those things done. I, I praise God for, for brothers like Andy who handles our finances and, and, you know, it's not stuff he does on Sunday. It's the stuff that he does during the week he, uh, uh, to, 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 to make sure that those things are reported well so God's people know that they can give account for the finances that God has given to this church and they can be used for God's glory. I praise God for people who work in our nursery. Sister Patty, who heads that up now and labors there with our little babies, changing diapers. Rocking to sleep, <laughs> seeing them when they won't go to sleep, and they just acting all kinds of, well, energy, you know what I mean. But somebody who labors in that has a hard time pulling uh, uh, those who would serve in that week after week after week. Those who labor in other ministries. I'm not going to name them all, but there are so many things to be involved in. I, I pick some that kind of like are behind the scene. People like Brother Willie, Brother Willie Wallace. Where are you, Willie? He's out in the back. He, see, he raised his hand. He's in the back. <laughs> Who labors on the grounds, inside and out. Springtime is coming, and he's got I know he's got ideas already on, on how to prepare and get things ready. These are things that are needed for God's work, his spiritual work to be done. And I think you can do both at the same time. In fact, the way that you do that physical work shows your heart and your attitude towards the spiritual work because you do it for a purpose. You do it so that God might be glorified, that, that his word can go out and be effective. So every person that's here that's a part, I thank God for and for those who observing on the outside, I pray that you'll have that heart to step all the way in. Step all the way in and get all the way involved. God gives us chapters like this so we might see what it looks like when his people come together, listen to his command, and follow it out and do it as he said it. It's a lot of work involved. It's a lot of work involved. But he's given the abilities and he's given the people and when they give themselves to the Lord, we see what they can accomplish as they begin to, to obey God and worship God. Won't you be a part of that group? Won't you be a part to step forward and say, God, how can you use me? I give myself to you. Father, we thank you for your word, your challenge, your people. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts. So many people that are needed for this type of work. I didn't list all the ones that you know and you do reward and you bless the faithfulness of the individuals that have served and are serving you. I pray, Lord, that you would send forth labors for this heart.
Milwaukee is a great harvest place. Send forth laborers from here, Lord, whose heart you have touched, who willingly give for your work here so that people can come to know Christ and have their lives transformed. Move hearts today, right now, Lord. As we take communion, we're, we recognize the great sacrifice that your son has given to call us to this service. And we want to thank you for that. We want to model that life, that sacrifice that he's made. We can't possibly die for sins of others, but we can live so that they can see the Savior. We can point them to that one and only Savior. May we be committed to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask our leaders if they will come.